Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world and happy Friday. It is Friday, June 17th. It's a freaky free-for-all Friday. Anything goes today. We can talk about anything you want. Um, We are going to need you to participate, though. I think my brain is on vacation today. I actually got up early today, too, and I've done a lot of reading this morning. Thought I'd have all kinds of great ideas to start the show. I don't have a whole lot of anything. Uh, I have, of course, some things I could talk about, the economy, nothing good there. So I was hoping to come up with something a little more positive for Friday, Uh, but it just didn't work out that way. So bring me something good. Pick up the phone and uh, give me a call. Phone lines are wide open right now. I promise if you dial now, you will get through. I think... Joel is joining us today. I haven't heard back from John yet, so we'll see how that goes. Um, If we get him in here, I'll uh, certainly bring him in and find out what they've got on their mind today. So pick up the phone and join us, 855-950-3835. It is a free-for-all. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything goes... Pick up the phone and join me. All right, so um, the economy, as much as I don't want to talk about it, we really have to. I'm still hearing, I I think Biden even announced this yesterday, that it's still possible we could avoid a recession. I I just don't see how that is possible. I, I guess it could, But if you look historically, when we get to this point, and honestly, historically, in many ways, we've never been to this point, but it always ends in a recession. I think all we're really trying to figure out now, how deep and how long will it be? Let's hope it's fairly typical, about 18 to 24 months, probably see a 40 to 50% decrease in the stock market, probably um, continue to see some decrease in rates. But again, it's really hard because we're still setting records. So it's hard to figure out where we're going to be until that kind of stuff stops. Uh, I am shocked that diesel prices are up again this week. Matt sent me the numbers uh, for the week. We are up 13 cents again. So uh, Monday was zero. Tuesday, we actually went down eight cents. That was the last time. Wednesday was up eight. Tuesday was up 12. Uh, Today, we're up one. So we're still setting records on gas prices, still setting records on diesel prices, still setting records on inflation numbers. I did uh, a lot of reading on the real estate market this morning. It is tanking fast. One of the things uh, I'm also shocked about is how fast things are turning. And that's where uh, it gets really tough to kind of predict what's happening. This morning, it looked like, I, like I said, I got up early and I was checking the Dow futures this morning and the stock market looked like it was trying to rally a little bit. We've had a really bad week in the stock market. In fact, we dropped down below 30,000 on the Dow uh, and we had been over 36,000. That's a big drop uh, this year and this month. 
Looked like we were going to have a little bit of a rally this morning, and that's already turned around and we're um, heading down again. Um, So we'll keep an eye on that. I I just don't think there's any chance of us avoiding a recession at this point. So if they can say that all they want, a year ago they were saying it was transitory and I, it, it's here to stay. Um, hopefully it's not as bad as what it looks like it's going to be. And keep in mind, no matter how bad the economy gets, there are always opportunities somewhere. Um, you really, really want to try to move to cash as much as possible. It's a little late in the game if you haven't prepared, but doesn't mean it's too late. It's still a market where you might be able to sell some things if you need to do that. Uh, I would take a really good hard look at your finances if you haven't done that yet. If you need some help on how to do that, by all means, give me a call. Uh, Look at your finances and figure out what you can do to improve your odds going into this recession. Where are you with your mortgage, with credit cards, with debt, with cash? What options do you have? Cash is going to be king. Uh, The other thing that I would seriously look at doing with this kind of inflation that we're seeing, and it doesn't seem to be slowing down, is pre-buying. And then in areas where we might have shortages like DEF, And I know when you do this, it kind of makes shortages worse. But uh, at this point, I'd be looking out for myself and my own business. Uh, Yesterday, we talked about pre-buying DEF. I can't see any reason why it would be a bad idea Um, in, you know, 55-gallon drums or totes or however you can get it. We'll certainly talk about it today. If you have any thoughts on that, give me a call. I can't see any downside to that. I can't see the price of DEF coming down anytime soon, especially if we're talking about shortages. When we have shortages of things, the price will continue to go up. So pre-buying it, one, make sure you have it. That's a nice plus. And two, probably save a bunch of money in the long term by getting it before the price continues to go up. You could be doing that with lots of consumables in your life, your business, Uh, maybe a pre-buy oil, maybe a pre-buy tires. Um, Tires keep going up. If you're going to need tires before the end of this year, I would think about pre-buying them. Now, there's always a risk when you pre-buy that somehow things turn around and the prices come back down. There's a risk there. I don't think it's much of a risk for anything you're going to buy to get you through the rest of this year. Food prices are going through the roof. Seems like that's only going to get worse. Uh, If you could pre-buy and then preserve food, can it, dehydrate it. I'm even thinking about buying a uh, freeze dryer. Um, There are certain foods that freeze dry really well. Um, I'm starting to get a lot more uh, fruit and berries from my property. I'm you know, turning all of my property or as much of it as I can into food production. Uh, and I'm doing a lot, of, um, a lot of berries and fruit. They grow really well here. So I'm getting ready to put in uh, a little orchard of dwarf fruit trees. 
and fruit freeze dries really well. And if, if you've got trees, you can end up with an awful lot of fruit. I'm, looks like I'm going to get a lot of berries this year. But really think about those two strategies to get through this. Pay down debt, sell things if you need to, save cash. And if you're going to spend money, spend it pre-buying consumables for both your business and your personal life. All right. It looks like we've got uh, Joel with us. I don't know if we've heard from John yet. Let me check. Um, Haven't heard from John yet. Joel, welcome back. How you doing? Oh, I'm tired today for so I didn't sleep all that great. It's been a weird week. It's like my body's not tired. My brain is. Yeah, well, I was about ready to hang up with all the doom and gloom you had going on. I was getting depressed. I didn't, didn't know if I wanted to stay on the you, line or not. You know, I, I actually woke up this morning at like 4. Normally, I wake up between 5 and 5.30. And today, I woke up right at 4, looked at the clock, thought, well, I should go back to sleep. And I laid there and I thought, oh, yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, and I thought, well, I'll get up. I'll have lots of time to read. I'll have all kinds of great things to talk about on the show today. I've been up since 4 or 4.30 reading, and I can't find anything except bad news. <laughs> no, I hear you, but I've got some good news, I good. think. We can help some people spec some trucks that will improve their fuel efficiency and bottom line and as things start to improve because you know everything runs in cycles and this will not last forever um we'll be adaptable enough to take advantage of a strong market as well and uh i think that's important you know we uh we tend to we tend to get tunnel vision when we get into these cycles when things are good we spec trucks for when they're good and then when things turn (laughs) like they are now you're kind of stuck and it, it becomes very problematic so we can we can talk about some things to keep you adaptable to all different market conditions That's and uh, I'd also like to just you Go know ahead. touch on the whole downsped the whole downsped thing a little bit more um, seems like people are still kind of confused as to what downsped means uh, most people think of it as a rear axle ratio and that's one part of the equation and I'd just kind of like to review that and go over things a little bit so people have a better understanding of exactly what we mean when we're talking about a downsped truck. Good. Good. I, I you know that idea of being able to spec for a time when um, right now we're talking about running slow. And I mean really slow. Mm-hmm. I think I'd be doing fifty five. Really. I every I, my, I, I yeah. Every mile per hour counts, and right now, we don't know where the end of this is yet. Like you said, and I agree with you, won't last forever. We're going to come out of this, but how deep it goes and how long it lasts will make a big difference for somebody. There's always somebody on the edge that if this goes just a little deeper or lasts a little bit longer, that's enough to put them out of business. So we still have to remember. Let me tell you. Go ahead. mm -hmm. Yeah, let me tell you, the the people that are probably on the edge right now are people that bought trucks when things were strong and they built them to run really fast to take advantage of rates and fuel prices um, from last year or the year before. You know, so you, you bought that truck and you, you were probably kicking ass there for a year, year and a half, two years. Um, now you're singing the blues and I have just been 
overrun with phone calls from people. You got to help me, you know, yeah. my, my, my yeah. Peterbilt, I got to, I got to do something. And unfortunately there's not a lot I can do when the base spec is so horrible for efficiency. You know, it was great for the speed that they wanted. Um, that 700 horsepower truck. I mean, yeah, it'll go up and down the highway 85 mile an hour, but now what do you do with it? Yeah. And so, yeah, smart specking is imperative in order to survive these market changes, whether it's an up market or down market, it doesn't make any difference. Um, several years ago at Floater Transportation, you know, I was a direct drive guy, kind of a moderately downsped, not super aggressive because I just couldn't see the point in getting super aggressive. And we ran 60 mile an hour everywhere we went. The trucks were very easy, nine mile a gallon truck. I mean, basically any fleet driver could get it. Um, this was back in 2008. Market started changing not too shortly after that. You know, we started to get more business that required uh, longer points that we had to bid on. Trucks had to run faster. The spec that I had laid out didn't fit that mode very well. And we suffered. We suffered for the rest of that trade cycle. And I thought to myself, never again. We have to be able to adapt to economic circumstances as well as all the other conditions that we need to adapt to. And uh, this is kind of where that downsped concept comes into and understanding what downsped means and how to leverage the benefits of downsped that really helps you become adaptable to any operating environment you may get yourself into. You know, it's a really good point. And one of the reasons we haven't done it in the past or haven't done it as much as, you know, we could have, or we wanted to, you weren't able to, I mean, the drive lines and, and the engines, it, a lot of this is just now coming onto the market that we're able to spec a truck that can operate in such a wide range of speeds really efficiently. This is true. And this is one of the problems that Volvo first had when they came into the marketplace in North America. And I can remember early on, you were bitching about this all the time. You know, people are specking this new Volvo engine. It's just not performing that well. And it sucks. You know, in Europe, they have been dealing with conditions like we're seeing right now for decades, yeah. high fuel prices, moderate freight rates. And so they, they have really got out in front of us on the whole downsped concept and Volvo in particular, um, probably the world leader when it comes to downsped concept application design. And so they bring this V12 over that was a downsped engine and we're putting traditional gearing on it and going, this thing sucks, you know, <laughs> and they really struggled with that trying to, especially back then when fuel prices weren't that expensive, how do you convince somebody to, to try different gearing that they've never even heard of or even thought about it? It's very difficult. So kind of coming into their own right now, people are starting to understand it. And um, if you understand the technology and the concept, you can really leverage it to your benefit for your operation, no doubt. I agree. So I'm excited we'll talk about that today. Um, before we do, mm -hmm. uh, you know, talk about people being on the edge. Um, if, if, you were, if we were just to look at today in a bubble, forget the past, forget, you know, everything we know. If you were just to wake up and look at the conditions today, the rates, the fuel prices, the fuel surcharge, honestly, I would look at it and say, 
this isn't that bad of an environment right this moment. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'm, I kind of, I guess, have a skewed view of this because we learned very early on if you really focus on efficiency when times are good. You may not do quite as well as the guy that's going to run 85 mile an hour, but when things turn, this traditionally has always been a time when we do much, much better as a company. So this, you know, I don't want to say it's a great thing for us, but, but it is, I mean, right. this is, this is the kind of stuff that, that we have prepared for. And so we're waiting on this when everybody else is freaking out, you know, we're, we're out there to take market share and to grow the business and, and become even stronger. And uh, so I, I guess I'd never see these types of turns. I won't even call it a downturn. I'm just going to call it a turn because, you know, we, we we're thinking ahead and preparing for this stuff. And, and when you're ready for it, it, it's it's an opportunity. It really is. Regardless if it's an up market or down market, there's always opportunity, just like you said. And especially if you're prepared for the market condition, you can do quite well, no doubt. I, I, I think so. And I think it's going to get worse. It's going to get more challenging than it is right now. I don't think it's all that bad right now. And yet, I actually saw a post and a lot of people were jumping on and agreeing with it. And basically what it was saying, um, and I don't even know how you can be in the trucking industry and come to a conclusion like this, but somebody did, and a lot of people agreed with them. The Post basically said that fuel prices have gotten so high that small trucking companies are no longer able to generate a profit and all they're doing is running to deliver the freight everybody needs until they go out of business. Yeah, yeah I, I read uh, several similar posts to this, but again, let's, let's look at the European example. They have a very stable uh, supply chain over there. They have been dealing with fuel prices and economic conditions very similar to what we have right now for decades. And one of the posts that I read said, oh, it's going to put every trucking company out of business. It will not. There are no people <laughs> that under, understand efficiency, and they are going to kick some serious ass in this time. It's, you know, when the majority of people have this mindset, oh, you just can't do it. it I don't know. It just seems like we've become such a group of whiners and complainers in the trucking industry that, you know, one little move in fuel price and we're all singing the blues and we're, we're crying because we can't do exactly what we want. We can't drive 85 mile an hour when we want, you know, it, it's not what we want. It's what, it's what the market conditions dictate and how well we can adapt to market conditions. You know, and as long as we kept, keep that me, me, me attitude, you're going to struggle. You know, that thought right there is a lot more important than people understand. Uh, it, it, there's, you it's, know, and there are everything. other industries and businesses like this, but trucking is the one I know the best. And I see this over and over and over people and you, you see it when they first decide they want to be an owner-operator and you hear their reasons. I'm so sick of dispatch telling me what to do. I'm sick of this speed-limited truck. I'm sick they won't do this. They won't. I'm going to go into business. Okay, good. You get to make all those decisions yourself. <laughs> now, you're going to find out why they don't do those things or they do these things. And by the time you figure it out, it's probably going to be too late. You're going to be a failure. Uh, amen, brother. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I've seen so many guys do that. Oh, this is bullshit. They don't understand this or that. They go 
buy their W9 and they put it out on the road and in six months, they're the guys out on Facebook complaining about fuel prices and rates and, and everything else. And don't haul cheap freight because if you don't make $18 a mile, it's bullshit. And like, oh my gosh. Right. Yeah. So No, I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Speaking of buying W9s, and we're talking about this, we know there's a problem now. This isn't last year when fuel was cheap and rates were through the roof. Everybody with a truck knows that fuel prices are high, rates are low, and it's going to get worse. If you don't understand that, you're in the trucking industry or thinking about buying a truck, you're just an idiot. So here's what I don't understand, and it's happening right in your backyard. Who the hell is this Ohio truck Mm -hmm. sales company? I think they're actually up in Sandusky, just up the road. <laughs> they they go out, they look for these old antique looking bricks, and they sell them to these owner operators. Oh and, my uh, god, man, the guys I, pay a, they pay a heavy price for it. I, it just I, boggles my mind that they have a big old smile on their face when they take pictures of these guys standing out in front of that big square hood. Uh, I, I just you know, if you're buying it to park it in your garage because you like to work on trucks and it's a collector's <laughs> item, I get that. <laughs> But how in the hell in today's environment do you put a truck like that to work and make money? I don't, I, I don't understand. All of a sudden, I, for I some reason, that company is now yeah. dominating my feed on Facebook. So it's just post after post. Do they have a single aerodynamic truck? Because I have not seen one yet. I've seen at least no, they, 30 posts in the last yeah, two they, weeks and every truck is a brick. I think they specialize in bricks and hard to finance customers. I think that's what they do. <laughs> what a great so combination. We, we can imagine why they're, <laughs> yeah, why they're hard to finance. <laughs> oh my God. So just a real quick example of this. So I, I helped uh, Kim and Al Hammerson spec out their, their new Volvo. And it's a, uh, it's a ploger spec, not, not quite an eye torque, but close. It's aggressively downsped and, and they made their first turn out to California and back with it. And, um, They've got a couple of friends. They're Peterbilt people through and through. Um, the 379 guy is getting 4.2 miles a gallon. Oh, oh. And Al, Al said he, he sat down and done the numbers. On just this turn alone, Al made $930 more than what he did on this single trip. Unbelievable. So that's that's kind of cool. I mean, uh, on, yeah, on one trip, he's putting $930 into his pocket, and yet these guys are out there smiling in front of these great big old hoods, you know, shaking this guy's hand, thinking I'm doing a, a great thing. It just, man, you just talk about walking into it with your eyes wide open. Right there it is. So I don't know. It's you crazy. Know, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of on the health side when, you know, I see these people who are really, really into cardio or fitness or whatever it is, and yet they're almost as sick as everybody else. And our, our yeah. you know, what we say all the time is you cannot out-train a bad diet. It's impossible. We have absolute proof, Sami Inkinen, world-class, you know, triathlete. I've had him on the show. He's an amazing guy. Um, world-class mm-hmm. triathlete, world champion, and ended up diabetic in his mid-30s from a poor diet. And it was, yeah, it, I, and nobody, I, 
Nobody would have thought it was a poor diet. He was almost vegetarian. He ate really clean, but he did tons and tons of carb loading in all of his training, and he ended up pre-diabetic. And what I would, the analogy yeah, I, I would make here, you can't outrun high fuel prices. No, that's exactly what I was going to say. You, you can't, you can't do it. I, I mean, I, look, I understand the productivity point and you need to service a customer and you need to keep them happy, but you want to do all that at the lowest speed possible. And unfortunately, most guys see that extra speed as a benefit. And then what makes things even worse, we've been kind of trained that, well, the more horsepower we have in a truck, the more efficient it is. And when you had a traditionally geared truck, you could kind of make the argument for that because you could keep it in top gear and not have to downshift then. But with today's more downsped trucks, we're efficient in the top three gears. So we start to utilize gearing to our benefit instead of horsepower. And, it, you know, it goes back to exactly what you're saying. You can't outrun high fuel price. You just cannot do it. And the higher they go, the worse that becomes. And you know, the, the quicker you end up in the poor house. So yeah, I, I really like that. That's a, that's a great analogy. And it, it's just spot on, especially for the times that we're in right now. And, and like you said, it's going to get worse. There's no doubt. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if we see eight, $9 a gallon diesel fuel. Um, it wouldn't shock me a bit. Yeah. And honestly, I, it's not even the fuel price that concerns me because I'm, 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 you know, you got this guy getting 4.2 miles to the gallon. Let's just be honest. He's toast. You can't, if, if, yeah. if you, he's just toast, you're, the numbers just don't work unless something changes and fuel comes way back down. But anybody at six plus miles to the gallon which should be about 99 percent of the trucks on the road these days honestly there's no excuse except in some really extreme operations there's no excuse for getting less than six anymore and yet if you're getting six plus that fuel price is completely irrelevant to you there, nobody should be saying i can't make a profit something's wrong with that statement if you're in trucking right now, and it will stay that way, the fuel surcharge has to make up for fuel cost. If it didn't, nobody would pull the freight, we would all starve. So that's not going to happen. Uh, no, no, if fuel goes to $10 yeah, a gallon, the fuel surcharge will follow it. What happens then is we crash the economy. So I'm not even concerned about fuel price. I'm concerned about how much freight volume there's going to be. Correct. It's going to impact freight volume at some point. And then the other, the other part of this in today's situation is, is the inflationary pressure that we're seeing on, on parts and whatnot. So your maintenance, you know, we've talked about this in the past and, you know, it, it's my opinion that as we slow down, we can save up to 39% in maintenance costs. Yeah. Well, with the inflationary pressure that we're seeing on everything, it's probably even more than that today. Right. So just that inflationary pressure on that driving maintenance costs through the ceiling, these guys that are running super fast, you know, they, they may be coming in under that six mile a gallon mark and they're facing the, the increased maintenance costs on top of it. I can see where they're struggling. I mean, I get it. And the one, fix for that is to slow your truck down but that's such an evil thing to say and you're such an idiot if you say it and you don't know anything about trucking and i mean it's just it's crazy but uh that's that is the solution for 99 percent of the operations that are struggling 
slow the damn truck down. And then we talked about what that does to capacity. And we know as the economy starts to tank, we're going to have all this excess capacity. So these guys that are running fast, they're actually contributing to the mess that we're in. Yes. Yeah, they're making it worse. Try to convince them of that. You might as well just go talk to the wall. Yep. 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 And, you know, from their point of view, it's the guys that are willing to drive, drive slow that are just screwing up everything. You're not safe. You're killing people. And, you know, if, if, if you only knew about uh, freight rates, you wouldn't have to worry about your fuel costs. I just love that one. Oh, you know, yeah. if you weren't all cheap freight, you wouldn't have to worry about fuel. I'm thinking, are you serious? <laughs> really? People still say that. Yeah. I mean, come they on. Do. Yeah, and they still <sighs> say, leave yeah. the freight on the dock and the rate will go up. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, love yeah, that one. yeah, I love that one too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let, let me go back to something you said, and I want to get your opinion on this because you, being plugged into a small fleet all these years, you, you get this. You had mentioned, you know, sometimes you just have to run a little faster to service a customer, and I get that. But mm-hmm. most owner operators who say that, well, I have this freight; it has mm-hmm. to get there. What they don't understand, and and you know this. You have some loyal customers. That usually takes years to build those kinds of relationships. These relationships that Mm -hmm. we're talking about where the owner-operator says, well, I have to drive this fast. The minute they don't, that company will drop them in a heartbeat. And even if they do keep trying to run this hard for that company for that rate, they'll just drop you. I mean, there's not that much loyalty in business. That's exactly right. If you bump up against a customer that's running you that tight on time, I can guarantee you somebody's going to come in and bid that lane for three cents less, and they're going to go with exactly. that that lower bid. Yep. Yeah, yeah, right. They're just they're just shopping the market, and you are just a number to them. There's absolutely zero loyalty there. Where we typically see this, um, you know, with one of our big food customers, uh, our food grade customers. Yeah, 95% of the points we can do at an average dispatch speed of 49 and a half mile an hour. And that's where we like to be because we know that safety stays pretty damn good. We've got a couple of points that are further out that they have some goofy hours that, you know, we got to bump that dispatch average up to 53-ish right around in there as, a, as an average speed for the dispatch. And the guys have to run, you know, they have to stay on it to make it. Um, you, you can make it, but it, it requires just a little more effort to, to turn that round. Uh, yeah. but the, the overwhelming majority of them, it, it's not a problem. And most of those situations over time, you can kind of work on the arrangement a little bit and get it to the point where you can figure out a way to make it so you don't have to run that hard. And that's kind of always the goal. Um, How can we do this more efficiently and a little more safely? Initially, it may go into the system a little faster than what we like to see, but we're always working on how do we figure out how to slow this down, you know, and make that point a little bit safer and a little bit more efficient. Here's another thing I'm starting to see already, and I didn't think it would happen this fast, but it is. Um, You know, I, there are a lot of downsides to social media, but boy, I got to say, when we're going through stuff like this, it's, it's, I get instant feedback that I never used to be able to get. And I, all you have to do is scroll social media. I mean, you see what people are talking about, what they're posting. I am already seeing posts about um, owner-operators 
10 and 15,000 or $20,000 into a broker and the broker's not paying anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of that stuff too. So, um, uh, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna be hard for a lot of people here. There is no doubt about it. Uh, if you're new in the business and you're still floating from broker to broker to broker, and you really haven't made a whole lot of, you know, really good, relationships yet um you're going to struggle through this there's no doubt a lot of people aren't going to make it through the other side you know we we um we talk about how tough this is going to be for owner operators and it doesn't have to be this could be actually not all that big of a deal uh it's going to be tough for a lot of them it's going to be tough for a lot of them because they've never been through anything like this but then i got thinking a, a market like this is a whole lot harder for the brokers. This is a nightmare market for brokers. And think of all the new brokers we have in the market that have never seen a downturn in freight. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The the, the brokers and really even the, the manufacturers and, and, and whatnot are gonna really have a tougher time than the truck drivers. If, if we were just smart enough to, as a group, if everybody slowed down tomorrow, if everybody slowed down, most of this problem is going to take care of itself, really, because the capacity concerns go away. You know, your efficiency gets much better. Your maintenance costs go down. Everything gets a lot better if we all just slow down. Uh, now, we know that that's not going to happen. So what that really does is it creates opportunity for the people that are smart enough to understand sometimes market conditions dictate that I drive a little bit slower. And when you understand that, you're going to you're going to have all kinds of opportunity and you're going to get through this. I mean, even if you're even if you're new, you're probably still going to get through it all based on how slow you're willing to drive. You know, there's another way to look at this. We we've said and, and it's not that I disagree with this statement, but there is another way to look at it. We've said, you know, when when fuel's cheap and rates are high, just go run as hard as you can, run fast, just go make the money. But honestly, yeah. there, is, there is another way to look at that. There's two numbers, and this would be easier if I could put numbers up on a chart and people could see them, but there's two numbers we could look at here. Total profit, and profit is money that goes into your pocket and you get to spend. So we're not talking about gross, I am talking mm-hmm. about profit. But there are two ways we could look at this. If you run really fast just because rates are good and fuel's cheap, your total profit will be higher. But even in that market, Mm -hmm. if I run slower, my total profit might be lower. My profit margin will be higher. I will get paid more for the time that I work. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Now it's a little different for a fleet because they have to hire people. And when you pay by the mile, they want faster trucks because drivers see that as a pay rate. This is the advantage of being an owner operator, being able to drive that truck slower when it makes sense. And, and this, this is the key to really being successful, I think, as an owner-operator. One of the easiest things you can control is the speed. And don't get brainwashed into thinking you've got to drive 75 mile an hour everywhere and have a 600-horsepower truck because it, it will bankrupt you at, at some point. 
You know, it may not be today, tomorrow, but right. you, you get it. Right. Well, maybe today with with the way the market is right now. <laughs> yeah. But you've got you've got to be you've got to be smart. You've got to be adaptable. You you can't just buy into a single mindset. I, I mean, I was probably when I first started specking trucks, I saw the value in slowing down, and I probably went a little too far in my belief that, okay, everything's going to run at 55 and that's just the way it's going to be. So when we got into certain market conditions, um, maybe I could have done a little bit better if, if we put a little bit more speed into the truck and the fleet situation. So that's how I learned to become adaptable. Um, and when you're adaptable, you have to be smart enough to understand when you need to change how you're operating and adjust that speed down. And I think you're right. I, I, the best way to look at this is just run as slow as possible and still get the job done for whatever duty cycle you're working in. You know, I mean, that, that's he, the easiest way to think of this. Yeah. Here's another way we could, we could put this. If we look at two extremes, you said, you know, you, you may have gone too extreme at one point, slowing down too much and not having some flexibility, um, but let's just look at the two extremes. Let's look at these, you know, Ohio truck sale guys buying bricks right now. And I just wonder how many of those people, it's their first truck. Um, <laughs> that's just scary. But let, take that model. We're going to buy a brick. We're going to run as fast as we can because we want to. And we're going to see what happens. And then we take the other extreme. Mm -hmm. Somebody specs their trucks to only run 55 to 60 miles an hour. Um in the long run, which one will survive? You know, we may say that, yeah, that it, just slow is not the most profitable way to operate, but it you will stay in business your entire career like that. Yeah, there, there's absolutely no doubt. If you are a single truck operation, you are exactly right. The guy that's running 55, um, unless... You know, somebody gets road rage and wants to shoot him or something. He's going <laughs> to do a whole hell, of, whole hell of a lot better. But, you know, these days at a truck stop, you never know. Somebody's yeah. going to follow you in. But, uh, yeah. yeah, no, you're exactly right. If, if you're willing to moderate speed and not let that, I don't know if it's endorphins, you get the sense of euphoria. I mean, it puts a smile on my face. Wind the truck up to 75, set the cruise. You, oh, do, yeah. you just smile ear to ear. Yeah. It, it feels good. It just does. I get that. You can't let that make your business decisions. So you got to come, come back to reality at some point. And, uh, you know, that, that 55 mile an hour truck, he could basically do everything else wrong. He's still going to be in business. Yeah. yeah. He, he it, just is. I mean, right. it, yeah. Like I we could look and say, yeah, for the last three or four years, that guy missed out on an opportunity, left some money on the table. That's true, but he's still in business now yep. and he'll make it through this. And, uh, tons and tons of those go fast guys, aren't going to make it. Um, let's, uh, yeah. one more thing I brought up yesterday and I want to get your opinion on this cause I hadn't really thought it through mm -hmm. when I said it. Um, I had several calls about, you know, DEF shortages and I've seen posts again, uh, multiple people saying, Oh, no big deal. It's easy to delete your DEF system. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's a good, first, <laughs> good first answer. Um, so I started thinking about this. 
what would be the downside even for a single truck owner operator to go buy a 275 gallon tote of DEF? Well, it, it does kind of evaporate. Um, I, I don't know how long I'd have to go up and go in and look it up specifically on, on what shelf life is because it does start to well, evaporate there, a little bit and concentrate. But I, I there I is an expiration a, date a on them. The shelf issue, life is like a year. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I mean, we buy it bulk. We have a, a tanker truck come in a couple times a week and deliver into, I, I forget how big that tank is back there. It may be 2000 gallons or something like that. Um, we have had, haven't had any issue at all getting DEF by the, uh, tanker load in bulk. Um, now I don't know if that is because of the relationships that Shane has established with a few different suppliers. Oh, I'm sure. Or if yeah, it, it, that, that may be part of it. Um, some of it may be just in the supply chain, just shipping in general, when you're buying the, like the five gallon bottles, that, that may be more of a supply chain issue than a deck issue. I, I'm not sure exactly what's going on. I've heard all the, all the stuff about the Russians make all the death and or the right. ingredients that you need to make it and, and we can't get it. I, I don't know how much of that is true yet. We haven't felt any pain yet as far as that goes in terms of shortages. And I'm just kind of wondering how many people are jumping on this bandwagon so they can say, oh, I had to delete my truck. Well, you know what it, I mean? It, it, I, right. I, I don't know I'm, how much of it is that. Yeah. So I, I'm it's hard trying to... Say. to find ways so say no don't delete it there even if it this is going to be a problem there are better ways and here's what i'm thinking we're in an inflationary period Mm -hmm. Uh, the price of everything is going up and it doesn't look like anything is going to stop that anytime soon so i know Mm -hmm. i'm going to use the def i need it i could come up short someday and I, I'm trying to figure out the downside. If I buy it now, I'm probably going to save money in the long term because I'm buying it before the price goes up. I'm going to use it anyway. It's a consumable. It's not like I'm going to waste it. And yeah, I put right. myself in a position where if we do have a shortage at some point, I'm protected. Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on here. Um, one of my partners that um, helps fund some of my goofy projects that I like to do from time to time is BASF. And my understanding is they are the world's largest producer of death fluid. Um, I will talk to them and see if I can get a, That'd you know, a yeah. 10,000 foot over overview of, of how they see things going. Um, I know a couple of people that are pretty knowledgeable on this stuff in the market and it'd be interesting to see what they have to say about this, seeing how they are such a big player in the market. So I'll report back on that after I have a discussion with them. Absolutely. All right. Let's, uh, let's grab a call because I think it might be about that topic. Paul, welcome. Howdy. I got, I got a few topics now you kicked my brain into gear, but the DEF, Nemo had, Nemo had a, a guest on that said, if you can't store it somewhere where it stays below 86 degrees, the quality goes downhill really quick. So, you know, if you're in Texas or Oklahoma or a big part of the country at the moment, if you're just going to store it outside, you, it might not be very good by the time you get to use it. 
Well, that's a factor. That's the kind of stuff I've been looking for. So I'll check with the, the BASF people and get their opinion on that as well. I'll make a little list here of things we can think of to ask them, and then I'll pass it along to the chemist there and, and see what their thoughts are on that. Yeah. So, and then uh, the rates in the car hauling stuff, they're still well up there. I, I loaded a load of Korean vehicles this morning at a Georgia plant, get up from another carrier, I'm going home to Oklahoma. I'll be 22 miles from my house when I unload. The rate that the other carrier is paying the company that I'm leased to is $6.93 a mile, and I get $5.89 a mile out of that. And um, I left home on Monday and I'll be back home tomorrow afternoon, and I'll be about $12,300 worth of revenue in six days. That, so what you're telling me is, is that that you make so much money you don't have to worry about expenses, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah, yeah my, there you go. Uh, that's, what, that's why I'm nearly a mile per gallon Better off than the four point two. Actually, I'm over a mile per gallon. Better off than the four point two three seventy nine. And I'll guarantee my aerodynamics are way uglier. Than <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely I'm, I'm awesome. At, I'm at five point three one for a ninety day average, and I've been leased to the same carrier for eighteen years this month, and I've been running. Mostly between sixty and sixty-three mile an hour since two thousand and eight, and I do a lot of miles in Texas. And just to let everybody know, I've never been rear-ended yet. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody's followed you into the truck stop and shot you yet from road rage. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. But I, I've and. Think of it this would, way, too. I Look at how not. many times you, you've been told you were number one when people drive by you. That's right. That's right. But I, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm all about freedom of speech, and they're entitled to my opinion, and I'm a, entitled to dislike it. But, I, I, hey, free country, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not politically correct either. So yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, awesome. But I got, I got a question for Joel. Um, mm-hmm. Is a VNR, is that a short hood version of a VNL? Um, it it, it is. The, the cab area is the same. The VNR now has, it obviously has the shorter hood, but it also has the older style sleeper. It's narrower and it's shorter. Um, so you have the 61-inch sleeper on the VNR. You can get it in the mid-roof and the high-rise where the VNL now has a 70-inch or a 77-inch option. So sleepers are a little bit shorter, a little bit narrower, hood's a little shorter. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a regional truck. It's more for that, that shorter haul where you're out maybe one or two nights a week, but you're home most of the time. Yeah, because yeah, uh, I was thinking the other day, it's like, because I'm, I'm starting to really like this, turbo compound technology but since you can't mm-hmm. get that in a VAH 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you won't you won't get it in the VNR yet either. No, uh, only the VN, VNL for right now. I was thinking of VNL. Yep. I remember mm-hmm. there's a place that makes stock area stuff out there in, on the West Coast, out there in mm-hmm. Oregon. And a few years ago, they built a Volvo, a VNL, had a big bunk, and put a head rack mm-hmm. on it. So I was thinking, well, I, you know, the Fontaine roof and everything. So mm-hmm. I'd still be ugly aerodynamically, but I'd pick mm-hmm. up the efficiency of the turbo. Yeah, yeah, that, that's uh, not a bad plan. I would suspect that we're going to see the turbo compounding into the other models before too long. Uh, it's really starting to gain some popularity and it's starting to gain some traction, especially with the 13 and 14 speed I-shift options we have in the aggressive gearing. Um, I, I think it starts to make a lot of sense for a lot more applications than just a long haul over the road truck. So I would suspect that we're going to see that proliferate into the rest of the, the Volvo lineup. Hey, hey yeah, Paul. Like most... Yeah, just to just to give you some numbers, and these numbers really point out one of the things we're so backwards about in this industry. Um, Joel, you've been doing nine and ten miles to the gallon for so long, I can't even remember, uh, and yet most of your day is still focused on how to do even better. You know, what else can we do? What mm-hmm. specs can we? So you're way up there at the top, still pushing to get a little more. Paul just told us about all his, you know, buddies with, you know, hauling cars getting four and a half, which is about the average for those guys. And every time I talk to one, Uh, 5.3 for me. Yeah. Whether it's heavy haul or cars or these operations that typically get really bad fuel economy, they have the exact wrong attitude. Their attitude is, well, my fuel mileage sucks, so why should I try anything? But here's the difference. Instead of getting four and a half, what Paul's getting saves him $24,000 a year in fuel cost at today's price. Yeah. $24,000. The worse your fuel economy is, the more you should be focused on it, and we do the opposite. People just say, oh, well, it sucks anyway, so why should I bother? You should bother because your one-tenth of a mile per gallon is a lot more profitable than Joel's one-tenth of a mile per gallon. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there is no doubt. And I I still do my my redneck ABU like... I, I slept there where I loaded this morning. I slept there last night. I got there and fired up my little Honda and my air conditioner and turned the fan on and lay down and went to sleep. And you know, uh, just as I climbed in the sleeper, the guy next to me, he pulled in and his truck idled for the 10 hours. And then I loaded the five vehicles on the top and then pulled the other four and put them behind the truck before I even started my truck up. His truck sat there and idled for 11 hours while mine did nothing. <laughs> you yep. know, here, here's another way we could look at this because I know these go fast guys, another one of their arguments is, well, I want to get home. You know, I'm just going to run hard and then I get home and I can, you know, be at home and have some home time. Well, let's take the numbers we just did for a car hauler. Uh, let's just say right now the average call her, call her, call, uh, car 
Haller is taking home 100000 a year. They should be doing much better than that, but let's just use that number. And we just figured out that by saving one mile or by increasing one mile per gallon, you save about $24,000. Well, if I would just drive slow when I'm out there and get that one more mile per gallon and save the 24000 I could take three months off every year and still net the same amount of money. So why don't I just go out and drive know, slow, you know, you, save all that money, and then take a bunch of time you, off in the winter when I don't feel like working? You are so spot on. Speed is such a trap that people, they don't see it. And we've been brainwashed to think in terms of speed because we get paid by the mile. And, and so we naturally just, you know, when you look at it from the, the big picture, uh, you're thinking, okay, the faster I can go, the more money I can make, you know, until you really dive deep into this and start tearing it all apart. And, you know, this was, this was one of the things when my stepson got into this, Travis, where I, I pounded that in his head. Don't fall for this bullshit that you got to run 75 mile an hour, you know? And so right out of the gate, he's, he's been running slow his whole career. And, you know, I think I told you the last time we were on, uh, I would love to have been in his position, (laughs) you know, when I was his age and, you know, he's knocking down a hundred grand a year as a company driver and he's home every weekend. Um, You know, it took me forever to learn how to do that. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I could pass that along to him and put him in the position he's in. But, you know, I I just my my sincere hope is that other people just clicks with them and and they get it and they start to slow their trucks down. And a lot more people are going to make it through this downturn and they're going to come out in a really nice position when the market turns back up. Well, I used I used to be a left lane guy like when I, I bought my first truck over here in 2004 and like I started hauling cars at the end of 2000, the guy I worked for, he said, fuel mileage is what it is. We get four and a half mile a gallon, 4.8 on a good day. He says, just get it done. Okay. And away I went. <laughs> well, 2008, February of 2008, I went back to New Zealand for a month. And when I came back, the fuel prices had gone up a dollar a gallon. It's like, holy crap. And no, I'd, I didn't believe you, Kevin, when I first heard you. You can make more money by running slower. And I thought, this guy's smoking some crap. <laughs> well, I might be, but that's beside the New point. Zealand. Yeah, well, 2008, <laughs> when I came back from New Zealand and gone up a dollar gallon, it's like, oh. and my truck so, was one payment left. And I slowed down to 60. And it's like, holy crap, he's right. Yeah. So I'm going to go back and look. I don't know if I still have it somewhere because I wrote this article a long time ago. Um, Joel, and this really ties in to the other stuff we're talking about, the changes we'd like to see in the industry and how company drivers are paid and all that. So let's think about this. And, Mm -hmm. And this is not an unusual scenario. It's a very common scenario. Guy you know, goes to truck driving school, gets out, gets a company job. And what do we know you have to do? You got to run fast because you're paid by the mile. Even if you get a couple more miles in, that's just more money in your pocket. And there's almost no downside for the driver. He's not paying all those additional Mm -hmm. costs. So that's the mindset we get into. In fact, I remember when I wrote the article, I was writing for a lot of those little recruiting magazines that were, you know, 92 Mm -hmm. pages of recruiting ads and, you know, two articles, and I was one of them. 
Um, and I even made a point to say, look at all the ads in this magazine you're reading right now. They all scream, more miles, more miles, more miles. Hell, I don't want more yep. miles. I just want yep. more money. <laughs> but, but that's how brainwashed right. we were. And then here's the problem. That guy wakes up on Friday morning as a company driver. And what kind of things does he do? Well, he slept in a truck stop. He has to go in and wait for a shower. He's got to get fuel. He's got to go to the dock and wait and get loaded. And then he's got to go fight traffic. And and that's his day. I mean, that's the day of a truck driver. At the end of the day on Friday, Mm -hmm. he walks into the company and he says, hey, I want one of those lease purchase trucks. Okay. Monday morning, he's now an (laughs) owner-operator. What changed? He still sleeps mm-hmm. at a truck stop. He still gets up, has to fight to get a shower, has to wait to get fuel, has to go to the dock and wait, has to fight traffic. His day is exactly the same as it used to be. And because of that, he won't change a thing on how he does anything. Right. What's changed is he needs to be a whole lot smarter right. now than what he had to be yesterday. And that's what's changed. And, and you know, here's one of the big factors that most people miss. And I, I hear a lot of talk about this right now, you know, as fuel prices tighten, a lot of times owner operators, they'll start to look to see what are the big fleets doing. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but you've got to remember that a big fleet works on an economy of scale operation and, you know, efficiency starts to get pushed down that scale of importance. Um, and, and a great example is, you know, we, we talk about arrow on trailers and a lot of people are like, well, why doesn't Plover have arrow on all their trailers? Uh, you know, we're kind of in this transitional phase where efficiency is still important, but economy of scale is probably even more so. And when you start to buy trailers in groups, you can start to leverage pricing. You know, the big fleets, they buy trailer arrow for like 400 bucks installed. You know, where an owner operator, it's a thousand bucks installed to get, you know, get the stuff put on. And, and so they, they start looking at pricing and it becomes a function of bean counting rather than efficiency for fleets. So it's not always a good idea to copy what fleets are doing because their acquisition costs or what they're paying is dirt cheap. And it's very, very hard uh, for us to get a return on investment sometimes on stuff when we can't get things at the same cost that the fleets are buying it for. They have to be careful um, in that regard. There's another factor here when you're specifically talking about trailers at, at Ploger, what's your trailer to truck ratio? Sure. And it's four trailers to every truck. And, and, you know, that's a, that's a big factor. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. If if, if you look at making an aerodynamic improvement to your tractors and then compare that with making an aerodynamic improvement to your trailers, it costs you four times more to do it on the trailers. Yes. Yes. And and this is where Ploger being stuck in the middle between a full out economy of scale operation and efficiency. This is where we're struggling right now. Even arrow on the truck because there's maintenance associated with that. Um, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult nowadays. So we struggle with that arrow thing. Um, even though we are an efficient operation and, and we understand efficiency, uh, we're not quite big enough to where we can go into a trailer manufacturer and say, if we don't get that price, we're just going to go down to the next, you know, right. the next trailer manufacturer. We're not quite there yet. It, it, that'll be here soon, no doubt. But, uh, so we, we struggle with it until we're at that point. And, uh, so it's not always 
a good thing just to watch what the fleets are doing. You have to understand your individual operation. And for most owner operators, the number one most important thing should always be efficiency. Absolutely. Because you'll survive yeah. times like this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. And let's talk about, since we're talking about kind of driver behavior and moving from employee driver to owner operator, and we're talking about speed and efficiency, there's another factor here that I don't hear talked about much. But if you pay attention to the industry, you can see this. So think about truck drivers for as long as I can remember, there's a shortage you could argue all day long whether there's a real shortage or not, but we are constantly recruiting. We spend a ton of money to recruit. We have tons of you know sign-on bonuses. We have huge turnover numbers. So clearly we have an issue. You can call it a driver shortage or it's not a shortage. You have to pay them more. That always made me crazy when OIDA was big for this. There's no driver shortage. You're just not paying them enough. Well, wait a minute. You just admitted mm-hmm. there was a shortage then. You gave a reason why, <laughs> yeah, right. but if there's a reason right. why there's a shortage, then there has to be a shortage. So stop saying there's yeah. no shortage. You yeah, said it and then you gave a reason right. why it exists. I, yeah. There's, and there's I'm an, not arguing. with a career path, I think. Right. Yeah. I'm not arguing that no, we need I, to pay I, them more. I, I, yep. But, but that yep. doesn't mean there no, is I, no I, shortage. I there is. But let's think about this. Because there's a shortage, even... The dirt bags in the industry really don't have much of a tr- problem getting a job when they want one. So as a company driver, you can be that asshole that pisses off everybody, pisses off somebody at the truck stop, yes. pisses off every shipper and receiver they go into. And you know what? They'll have a job. They'll make just as much money as yep. almost every other company driver. But do that as an owner operator and you are screwing yourself. Yes. Yes. Yes, you, you definitely you, you have to be smarter and you have to manage every aspect of, of what you do. Actually, you know, I'm really kind of looking forward to getting into this purple truck because I, I get to I get to use my brain a little bit more as I get out here. And, and you know, I'm going to run some some freight that's probably independent of, of Ploger, not just Ploger stuff. And, you know, get out into the, the owner operator realm a little bit more here. And uh, uh, I, I actually enjoy it. Um I kind of look at it from a different perspective than what most people do. Obviously I'm going into this thing full bore efficiency with, with the, uh, um, the idea that I need to be adaptable, um, which I think is a, a, a smart strategy. And we're coming into what a lot of people would say, you're getting into this right at the worst time possible. Um, obviously I kind of disagree with that. I see all kinds of opportunity here, but, uh, no, I, I hear what you're saying. There is a, boy, the way the industry set up, as long as you're breathing, basically they'll put you behind the wheel as a company driver and, and you know, you're going to make some money. You just are, uh, when you step out of that and you go into business for yourself, your whole world's going to change at that point. There's no doubt. Yep. All right, Paul, you got anything else? Well, I was going to say the the guy that's a company driver on uh, Friday and then he's a lease purchase guy on Monday, the major thing that changed is he's going to pay for someone else's truck, but more than likely he's never going to own. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. The, and, and really the problem, yeah. the reason I wrote the article way back then and told the story was people don't change because nothing felt different. Monday feels just like Friday did. 
And, and that, that's true. I mean, almost nothing changed except in reality, everything changed, but they don't get it. And, and that's part of the problem we have in this industry. I don't know how you change that. Um, that's why I wrote the article well, back then, but I never really came up with any good ideas. Right, and this is exactly why these guys are showing up in your feed with that big old smile on their face in front of that long hood tee. <laughs> yep. You know, because they don't they don't know what's about to kick them in the ass, but it's coming. You know, just as sure as the know, sun's coming up tomorrow, they're going to get a dose of reality. And let's talk about something else while we're talking about this. Let's get real about this. You know, we hear all this, especially in the lease purchase world. Well, it's a walkaway lease. What's the risk? The risk is huge because here's how this goes. This isn't a case where somebody gets their truck on Monday, runs it for a month or two, looks at it and goes, oh, man, I'm making about half of what I used to make driving their truck and I'm working a lot harder. That's not what happens. They will be in that truck for probably six to seven to eight months. During that time, they're going backwards financially they're getting into more and more debt personally. They're not paying their taxes because they don't have any money to pay their taxes. And when this does finally end, they're in really, really bad financial shape. They owe a bunch of taxes they might never catch up on. And you can't write taxes off in bankruptcy. If you, were, if you had a vehicle that you owed money on and they took it back and you still owed them money, that actually becomes taxable income. I've seen families destroyed over this. It, don't take this uh, lightly yeah. thinking you can just try to get into business and if it doesn't work out, you'll just walk away. You're, not, you're walking away from a dumpster fire at that point. No, you're, you're exactly right. And, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the point about, you know, the, the families being destroyed. A lot of times your health is impact due to the stress levels. As things really start to go to shit on you, your stress level is, you know, elevated constantly. And, you know, I've seen guys just drop dead from a heart attack over this stuff. And so you're exactly right. It's no joke. Um, you are not just going to walk away like nothing happened. It will never, ever happen like that. There's going to be a lot of, of family issues involved. You know, if you're married and have kids, there's going to be health issues involved. There's going to be tax issues involved. There's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to stay with you for a very long time. So, yeah, I 100% agree with you. Do not walk into that thinking, well, if this don't work out, I'm just going to, you know, trot my happy ass away and, and <laughs> yeah. everything's going to be fine because it's not going to work that way. Nope. Never does. All right. Some calls are still coming in, so let's grab a couple. Uh, Donnie in Minnesota, welcome. Hi, Kevin. How are you guys today? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, another thing you could, uh, what's the government going to do when all these people back out of these EIDL loans? Oh, yeah. Uh, Not only that. All that free money yeah, not only that, I just read an article yesterday about a trucking company that they caught. Uh, it wasn't an idle loan. It was actually a PPP loan. They are catching some companies on this. A lot of this corruption with the PPP loans will never be caught. But the one that was, was a trucking company, filled out the paperwork. They had, I, I may get some of the numbers wrong, but you're going to get the general idea here. The trucking company had 12 owner-operators leased under them. The P, 
PPP loan was, PPP stand for Payroll Protection Program. It was designed so that you didn't have to lay off employees. That was the point of it. And this company filled out the application and under the payroll numbers put gross revenue for their leased owner operators. Jesus. They ended up getting like a hundred and some thousand dollars in a PPP loan. And then they didn't even spend it on the business. They spent it on personal stuff. They're being prosecuted, but how much of that went on that will never get caught. Yeah. And, and the guys that, you know, they got the EIDL loan and now who knows what they did with the money. And now when they're going to actually need the money, they're wondering why they can't get it. Hey, you know, I just thought of something else along those lines. We know that in most small businesses, most small businesses don't last. I mean, the numbers are, they've been this way forever. 80 or 90% after, the, after five years are gone. How many of these people that went and got a 30-year idle loan won't even be in business in the next two, and they're going to be paying for 28 more years? Or will they be alive in 30 years? That's true, too. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah. And, and then we wonder why there's so much inflation. All of that government yeah. money created this inflation. Right. Or it was right. Putin. Well, so much, so much for the doom and gloom. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> uh, Joel, um, I, uh-huh. I've got a uh, Coronado. 2019 127 Detroit. I've got 444,000 miles on it, and my lifetime average is 6.13. It's been to Pittsburgh, and Bruce and them are kind of shake their head every time I come in. And I've got about every added thing to this on there that we can think of. And the only thing Bruce can come up with is. It was the build. It was one of those engines that was yep. shouldn't have been, or the one of the yep. blocks that shouldn't have been rebuilt to begin with. Donnie, I was just so, going to ask you if we had been able to figure out if, and there's two things that went wrong with these Series 60s that we finally identified. One, the block shouldn't have been remanned. It wasn't in, in spec to reman. And then on top of that, they mixed and matched parts from different builds and every time we had a series 60 that we couldn't get fuel economy out of it turned out to be one of those yep yep that's what we're we're kind of coming up with so i've been listening to this downsped for the last well probably you've been talking about it uh, for probably a year and a half now and mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like the the black sheep of the herd you know i've kind of I'm the number one conspiracy theorist that there is that I Mm -hmm. think, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald is innocent and the Russians (laughs) should be hung and everything else. But anyway, that's another story. And, and we never really landed on the moon, right? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I'm starting to get, get this feeling that, you know, after I hear, uh, about Al and Kim getting that new truck, how uh, I run Texas to Wisconsin and turn around and go back again. What uh, mm-hmm. would my specs for that kind of route be very similar to what uh, Al and Kim have? 
Yeah, you, you'd definitely be looking at what Volvo's calling iTorque right now. You can go into any Volvo dealer in the country and tell me what iTorque. And that basically gives you a, a 2.16 rear axle ratio running through an overdrive 13 or 14 speed iShift and the 455-1850 um, turbo compounded D13. And that would just do a wonderful, wonderful job. The the thing that I think a lot of people kind of miss here, and, you know, Kevin's talked about this forever. When you start to talk about aggressively downsped rear axle ratios, the first thing people want to talk about is, oh, it would never pull a hill, and they're forgetting they have a transmission there. <laughs> so, right, with this spec, you know, your top three gears are available at highway speeds. And, um you know, Al just gave a real nice report about crossing over Donner. He's at 79,400 pounds, and he ran Donner at 47 mile an hour with a truck with 2.26 and an overdrive transmission. Now, he didn't run it in overdrive, obviously, but this is an efficient transmission even as we get back into gearbox, and this is what's kind of different than the the manual transmissions. And I know every time I bring up the manual transmission thing, people just lose their freaking mind about how wonderfully efficient they are. And, and it's, it's really not the case, especially as we get deeper into the box. Um, you would, you would have a smile on your face. I, I can tell you right now, it's uh, you get her on the flat ground with 80,000 pounds. She'll cruise right along at, you know, 900 and, 50 ish RPM with, with no problem. You get the rolling hills, it runs in direct at, you know, 1150 RPM. Um, and when you get into the big hills, she'll drop down into 10 and uh, you have torque multiplication working for you. So you don't really need the, the horsepower. So, you know, in, in the old mindset used to be we got to put a whole lot of horsepower into this and then keep you in top gear. Um, nowadays it's let's moderate that horsepower, um, make the transmission efficient, even as we get lower or further back into the gearbox. And then, you know, really start to leverage that torque multiplication at a usable highway speed. And that's something that nobody has done here in North America, really. Um, Volvo's the first one out with this concept. I would expect we're going to see everybody else follow suit because it just makes so much sense. And uh, from the driver's standpoint, uh, even at a moderate horsepower number like 455, the hill climbing ability uh, with a heavy load is, is still pretty impressive. And uh, the, the fuel efficiency is uh, pretty damn strong in these trucks. And if you have any talent at all as a driver, you can just put up absolutely phenomenal fuel efficiency numbers. Okay. I would be all right running 62 to 65 with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you're going to run 62, okay. it's, it's going to run in direct drive most of the time. Um, when you want to kick it up and you want to run in 65, it's, it's going to go into overdrive and, and uh, uh, it, it is surprising how strong that engine is down low because of that turbo compounder uh, adding that power back to the crankshaft. And one thing to remember, and a lot of old school guys have problems with this, and, and Kevin sat through this training, 
the one thing that Volvo does probably better than anybody in the industry is the bottom end of the engine, the crankshaft, the connecting rods, the block. It's massive compared to everybody else. Um, the Volvo engine is a short stroke design with a very long connecting rod. And that means we have very consistent piston speed throughout the stroke. And we have way less, um, uh, piston slap or we're not leaning that connecting rod hard into the, into the liner. Like a, a Cummins is just the opposite. It has a very long stroke with a short connecting rod and you get this geometry that leans that connecting rod hard into the liner. And, uh, this is why it's a little bit harder to really down speed a Cummins or a Packard engine. The Detroit is a little more similar to Volvo. Uh, the crankshaft on a Volvo is far stouter than the rest of them. Um, our connecting rods are, are they're very, very stout. Um, so you can run that truck down at 950 RPM pulling, you know, pulling it hard and, uh, you, you won't ever have an issue with the bottom end of the engine. And this allows Volvo to tune their engine so we make more horsepower and torque at lower RPM because the engine can physically handle that stress and strain. And this is where a lot of the other manufacturers really struggle. They can get down there for short periods of time. You can run the Volvo all day down there and it's not going to hurt it. Okay. Okay. Now is there other than sleeper size difference between the 860 and the 760? Uh, there's, you get a bigger refrigerator and there's a, there's a few more um, options available in the 860 than the 760. Um, I have had the, the bigger sleeper in the past. I, I think if I was a team operation, I'd probably have the bigger one. I, I think that the 760 for the majority of people is going to be just fine. Uh, actually in my truck, I got the two refrigerator option. I got a refrigerator that, pulls out from under the driver's seat. And then I have the one in back because I wanted a little more capacity because it's just so damn expensive to eat on the road. Um, I wanted that extra refrigerator capacity. So there's, there's ways, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do if you get to the right dealer and he understands the product and, and can walk you through all the interior options. Um, one of the other things that I, I really like, and this may be slightly off topic, but, uh, you know, get my own truck. I'm going through what are my options as far as uh, hooking up ELD and installation and all that. And right now, Volvo has two suppliers, actually, Geotab and Verizon Connect. All this stuff is just built into the truck. You don't have to install anything. You just enter a VIN number and click a button on either one of their websites, sign up for the service, and boom, it's on. So, cause that's a big deal. I see so many people on social media struggling with how do I install this and it's not working and I'm getting all these codes now. So they do have an integrated solution. I, I don't know if the other manufacturers have that or not, but uh, I thought, man, what a lifesaver. Cause I was just getting ready to tear into that and figure out, okay, what's the best solution here. And they've got a fully integrated solution already. So, uh, pretty okay. nice. All right. Um, wheelbase and uh, lift axle. Is, is there a lift option to that? or So if you want to do a 6x2, Volvo has an option that's called the heavy duty, the HD 6x2. 
adaptive loading, and that's the option that you want. This gets you the 14.6 front axle, and it gets you the 23,000-pound drive axle with the 12.7-millimeter axle wall, and it gets you the Primax non-torque reactive suspension. So it gets you all the key components you need to make that 6x2 actually work correctly. Um, so you're going to want that. And then there's a bunch of parameters in there with the electronically controlled suspension that we have to turn on and make sure we have all of our traction help and stuff turned on. And if you decide to pull the trigger on something like this, just let me know and I'll, I'll walk you through the parameters to make sure we get everything set up right and, and okay. the, the truck's good to go down the road. Uh, the other thing that you're going to notice that Volvo has available that as far as I'm aware, nobody else does is a front sway bar. And I think that's standard nowadays, but uh, a lot of times a dealer will delete it to get the price down or to drop the weight. You want that front sway bar and you want that in conjunction with dynamic steering. And it's just an absolute dream to drive down the road. Okay. Okay. Uh, any, the wheelbase for that, any idea where I'm, I, I, I tell you what, private message me on, um, you're on Facebook, okay. I'm assuming. Yep. Yeah. So send me yep. a message. I, right now I have got literally hundreds of people coming at me. I'll, I'll, I'll get to you. It may not be right away, but I'll, I'll get to you as soon as I can. And, um, we'll probably at some point have a, have a discussion on the phone about exactly what you're doing and, and we can get an optimized wheelbase figured out and parameter sets and, you know, really, really dial this thing in for what you're doing. So you get the result that you want. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Kevin, I just got a text message from my wife and she wants to know when the Kevin Rutherford garden show is going to start today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm all set. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I, 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 hesitate to talk a lot about the garden because i get it it's not trucking it's very health so i try to keep it to wednesdays but you know i did quite a bit this week um i did it on wednesday and i think there was another day i did some gardening stuff i got a ton of feedback people loved it yeah well i think she was more talking about the clothing option she i told her to listen to yesterday's show and I said that, you know, kind of went kind of off the wall real quick. And she said, oh, I got to listen to it. And then she texted me back. That wasn't so bad. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Naked gardening. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not going there. We'll, we'll just, I'll take your word for it. All right. All right. Thanks for the call. Hey, Joel. Well, uh, that was a long call. Good stuff, by the way. I love all that. But I, I was thinking throughout the whole thing. So I've got some things, you know, I did go through that training on engine design and I learned a lot. It even helped me personally. I learned my problem is my connecting mm -hmm. rods too short. <laughs> that's why there's, that's why there's no live feed on naked gardening day. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. The other thing I got thinking, you know, Volvo now has this kind of name, you say the magic word, I torque, and you get the right spec. Um, we need right. that. That's pretty damn cool. In fact, yeah. really what we need, if we could figure out how to get this with all the manufacturers, we need like the fast food model. Give me a number three. Yeah. You know, that, that's why right. that was such a big thing for fast food when they came up with that whole meal and a number. 
You know, you didn't have to sit there and try to pick three or four different things and put it. You just looked up at the board and you go, oh, yeah, give me that number. And now you can order the number 27. They have so many of them. But that's kind of what we need on these trucks. I want the iTorque. No, I want this. And you get the right spec. Right, right. No, no, you're exactly right. And it, it just it makes it easier for the manufacturer, for the salespeople, for the customer. It uh, definitely is, I think, the way things are going to are going to start trending. You know, when when we had all the individual components and choices and stuff, you know what, when fuel was cheap, and if you screwed your spec up, it really didn't make that much difference. Right. Um, we didn't right. have emission systems that we had to worry about maintaining. And so if it blew a little smoke, now who cares? You know, now that we got to catch emissions and fuel prices are crazy, it all makes a difference. So you got to get this right. And here's another difference in today's world compared to when you and I first started. You gave a lot of reasons why we didn't even mess with this. The other one was there were only a couple different specs you could really build anyway. It wasn't like you had a ton of options. No, no, yeah, you're right. You you, you picked a 390, 370, a 355, <laughs> right. a 10, 13, to 18, and yeah. then whatever color paint you wanted on the engine, and off that, you went. You know, that that's was basically it. the way it worked. Right. Yep. Right now, yep. and when I listen to you say this, I, I'm really blown away by it. And I know a lot of people, this probably doesn't click with them. But the fact that we can now build a Class A truck with three usable gears at highway speeds is pretty incredible. It is so awesome to drive. I, I, I got to tell you, I don't run performance mode much in my truck, and, and that's the one that will really start to get you into the gearbox in a hurry. And Al was telling me about his trip up Donner, and, and I, if you've ever driven over that, it, it can be nerve-wracking. You know, it, it's just a uh, – it's one of those hills, and there's several of them out there. It's not just Donner, but, you know, it takes some skill with a manual, and it, it, can, uh, it can make your palms sweat from time to time. And, you know, he's like, oh, my God, it was just like driving a car up over there. I don't have to worry about it no more. I don't have to be thinking about it, what the weather is going to be like up on Donner. I, I know I have confidence in the truck. It's going to do what it, what it should and when it should and uh, just super happy with it. So he was talking about running and performance at 47. And I thought, God damn, that was that's a pretty good pull up. Yeah, so I had the opportunity to come back out of Brenningsville, Pennsylvania with a load of water. And I was at 80,400 pounds, came 78 to 81 to 322, up through State College and across 80. And I ran it in performance mode the whole way back just to see. And, yeah, it definitely puts a smile <laughs> There's no doubt, man, running, running up those hills and getting back into that torque multiplication. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty damn cool. It, it's very strong. Now. If you're in performance mode all the time, is your fuel efficiency going to be as good as if you're running in extra efficiency or economy? No, it's not going to be as good, but it's still going to be respectable. Still, right. And you have that power there if you want or if you need. It's, all, it's essentially having three separate tunes in the truck at the touch of a button. Yeah. Yeah, and that, it, that's really nice, really nice to have. And that's a big deal. I mean, it's a, you know, we just weren't able to do that for years. And now that we can, it's pretty cool. The other thing that uh, kind of came to me as I, I was thinking back, my very first seminar that I did back in the 90s, big seminar at uh, uh, Mid-America, the first year we did Partners in Business, um, was sponsored by Volvo. And for years, 
I talked mm-hmm. about Volvos. Volvo and Detroit engines, that was my combination. I just couldn't figure out the Volvo engines. I didn't like them. I couldn't get any performance or fuel mileage out of them. So I stuck with that Volvo Detroit mm-hmm. platform. And Volvo sponsored you know, my, that, that program for years. Um, and here we are mm-hmm. back with Volvo again. I kind of like that full circle. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. One of the things that just to, to give folks kind of an idea of how optimizing gearing, um, can really, you know, put a smile on your face. So when we, we spec a truck traditionally, and and I'm going to say down to a three Oh eight ratio, we'll call that traditional. Okay. So, in order to get efficiency out of a truck that has traditional gearing, we have to go into the engine and we have to, to fiddle with parameters in the engine and we have to do all kinds of things in the engine. And that is never intuitive to a driver. They never know what that programming is going to do or maybe why it's doing what it's doing. And a lot of times the driver will come back and say, oh, my God, this thing needs the overhead run or there's something wrong with it. When in actuality, it's doing exactly what it was instructed to do in the programming because you you can't see it. You can't feel it um, until it's already done what it's supposed to do. So with gearing, it's pretty straightforward. We're all familiar with overdrive, direct drive, and underdrive for the most part. You know, a lot of us have driven manual cars. We kind of get it. So the gearing is kind of doing what that programming is doing in the traditional truck. In a downsped truck, more of the optimization is actually through gearing. So, you know, talking to Al coming out of a Peterbilt with a 500 Cummins, with an 18 speed and a 308 rear end gear, he's getting virtually identical road performance out of his 455 with the 14 speed I shift and the 2.26 gearing just because of that availability of the gears. And, and, um, he understands why it made the downshift rather than something in the engine derating the horsepower, you know what I mean? And then it feels like it's a brick and they don't understand why, why it's lugging down so far using those gears. You know, you kind of understand you, you really have a nice feel for what's going on. And then the other thing we had talked about was as we get more aggressive with that gear ratio, the actual RPM drop between those top gears starts to narrow down. So even though we've got a 26% split between the gears because the final ratio is 2.16 the actual rpm drop is very similar to that old school 18 speed so it feels very natural to a guy like al when it does start to drop gears you know the the rpm drop is very similar the power comes on probably even a little bit stronger and uh so he he's just called me several times he he called me off Donner. he called me off uh parley summit off of baker grade out there and, and going over to hatchapi you know he's like man this thing is awesome i don't know how it does it but it just keeps pulling and i'm like yeah absolutely so i you know every time he's on a grade with some weight he, he's giving me the feedback and you know al's a guy that's been out there for what 50 years and six million miles yeah. if anybody should know it would be al he he knows his stuff there's no doubt about it yeah so it's awesome watching those two do that test right now so hey we're gonna grab a call it's probably gonna be the last call we're probably gonna wrap this up here but uh let's go to kansas bob welcome to the program 
Yeah, I just had a quick question. Have you, Joel, have you ever had, uh, like, your fuel filters just suck themselves dry, like on a 22 Volvo? I just uh, had that happen to me last night with one of mine, and I'm just curious. Is there a fix or is there something a guy can do? But it- yeah, um, you may want to check the the filter head assembly. Sometimes they will crack. Um, we've had this happen before where we actually had to change the, the where the filters actually screw on that assembly. Uh, occasionally will go bad. Um, I haven't seen it specifically on a new one, but we've had that happen on some of the older trucks. And uh you know, you look at everything and then it comes down to, yeah, that, that head assembly is bad. So where do you look for the crack or how do you, you know, get, it, 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 may, it may be, it may be, it may be damp up around the, the, the filter head assembly, check around it and see if you have any damp spots around it. Um, and that, that'll give you your first clue that there's, there's something going on there. Um, I, I don't, recall on the newer trucks having any fuel issues that are fucking the filters dry that that would be the first place where i would start i think now there has been some updates on uh the rail pressure regulators and stuff you want to make sure all the updates have been done to the fuel system and um I, i would look real hard down around that fuel head to see if anything is is damp down there one other problem is that it keeps blowing a fuse, and it's and the code it gives is something about the piston cooler, and you just replace that fuse with like a fifteen amp fuse. What what is that? That it the, the the piston oil cooler? Yeah, is that what it, I, I mean? Is, that's what it's found. Yeah, or is like it's got piston mm-hmm. something cooler? It gives you on the code. Well, hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I I know it has little pumps on the back side of the piston where it, it sprays oil up there to, to keep them cool. But I didn't know that was associated with a fuse. So well, that, that's something new, new for me. Bad, he, something like that. Well, here, here's a great resource for anybody that has a Volvo. You have an 800 number on your truck, that Volvo action and any code that you get, if you call that number, they will go into detail what that is, why it's up, and they can help you schedule it, make sure parts are there. But if you just want to know what it is, and I think they even have like a history thing that says, yeah, we've had issues with this or no, we haven't. You may want to call that number and just ask them and it should be right on your visor if you haven't done it yet and see what information you can get out of them. They are very helpful people. Um, I've, I've used them a few times myself and everybody that I know that's used them is all, always has good things to say about them. You know, I don't, I don't know what this part is or what it does. And you can probably call that number and get it figured out. But I do know this, if fuses keep blowing, something's wrong. It's not the fuse. Oh yeah. No, no, no doubt. (laughs) Yeah. Right. No doubt. (laughs) Yeah. If fuses keep blowing, something's wrong. We got to go solve that problem. They pull yeah. out the dealership. They can't fix it if it's not doing it. And you know, ah. once you replace the, I once you replace the fuse, it, that they cleared that code out and it's not doing it. And they can't. They said I can't help me. So I was just curious. Do you guys know anything about them or heard of it? Yeah, I'll definitely call um, that number and. Yeah, call that number and see what they say. I'd be really curious if you can uh, 
report back after you call yeah. them on, on next week's show to let us know what they say and, and how they direct you. That would, that would be awesome to hear. Okay. We'll do. Excellent. Thanks for the call. Uh, all right, Joel, we're going to wrap this up. We'll give you a chance for any final words. I, Great show today, by the way. Lots of good information. I thought it was going to be doom and gloom Friday, and you saved us. <laughs> I was listening to your opening. like, man, we can't I let know. that happen. <laughs> I know. It turned out to be a good um, day. I, I had a delivery while we were doing the show, and I think the watch you sent me came in. So awesome. that should be uh, an interesting thing to be playing with here. So Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. Stress levels. Let's uh, let's see what we can do with that, and that'll yeah, be interesting so to be able what, to talk about. What What's the top speed on your truck? Well, technically, it'll go 141 mile an hour, but I think I'll set it at around 75. <laughs> I think we'd probably so, so run we'll out of power her. and torque before we get to 140. Uh, but uh, it, yeah, I think uh, 91 is about uh, as fast as uh, horsepower will, will let us go. Starts to run Something out. Like so I'm kind of wondering what your stress level would be yep. at 91. Well, we're going to find out soon enough. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll take up a collection plan- for, for bail money for you. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I, I need a good attorney. So let's, let's get proactive on this and get one lined up. So that's right. There we go. I've got somebody in mind. Awesome. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Um, everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday. Head on over to the website, sletstruck.com. You'll find our store, lots of great new stuff in the store. The new food stuff you got to try. The granolas, the new seafood, awesome stuff over there. New nut butters that are amazing. And uh, obviously the two tribes, healthytribe.com and truckingtribe.com. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Have a great weekend.